0: Hi everyone, it's Carla Jean. Before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to make a disclaimer. This episode includes one instance of a particularly colorful four-letter word. If you are not comfortable with that, you might want to go ahead and hit pause, hit delete on this episode. If you are okay, let's keep playing. Welcome to Triple Take, the podcast where we talk to interesting people about the book, album, and film that shaped them. I'm Carla Jean Whitley.
1: I'm John Hammontree. And I'm Matt Scalise.
0: Today, we're joined by Jamie Tworkowski, the founder of To Write Love on Her Arms. And we're excited to have you here in advance of the um, event coming up at UAB.
2: Thank you. I'm happy to be with you.
0: Wonderful. Well. I wanted to start just by asking you about how To Write Love on Her Arms began. So can you tell me a little bit about the origin of the organization?
2: Definitely. Uh, the organization began in 2006, but actually in the very beginning it was not intended to be an organization or a movement or anything like that. It was just a simple attempt to help a friend and to tell a little bit of her story. And so. Uh, I met a gal who quickly became my friend. Her name is Renee Yoe, And when I met Renee, she was struggling with drug addiction, with depression, with a history of self-injury, and she had attempted suicide. And she ended up being denied entry into a local treatment center and spending the next five days with my friends and I. And I ended up writing a story about uh, the conversations that we had about getting to know her and and what she had been through and... um, posted that story online and that story essentially took on a life of its own and really got out in front of people in a surprising way. And then we also started to sell t-shirts as a way to pay for her treatment.
0: And tell me a little bit about the name to Write Love on Her Arms. Can you elaborate on how that came to be?
2: Yeah, so that was actually a phrase that I wrote in the original story and that ended up becoming the title of the story and then it ended up becoming obviously the title of the organization but my friend Renee she struggled with self-injury and so the night I met her um, a few hours after I met her she actually with a razor blade across her forearm wrote the word fuck is um people are familiar with that word and the thing that I think is important is, is, uh, that it's not so much about profanity, but that was really an identity issue in that moment, that that was what she believed about herself and about her life. And, uh, and so really this phrase to write love on our arms was very much a goal. And it was about trying to replace that and trying to invite her into some new ideas that, that she could believe that she deserved better, that she could believe that she was better. And, uh, so we actually think that's a pretty significant piece and it's been significant to be honest about over the years just because I think whether people use that word or not I think we all relate to some of those feelings some of those insecurities especially when life is really difficult so that uh that's where our name came from
0: absolutely and I think that it's something that people can relate to whether they have personally struggled with suicide or suicidal thoughts or not. Um, We've all had those moments where we don't believe in ourselves or we think that we're worthless. I'm gonna pause for just a second. I've got somebody coming in the room. All right. So tell me, how did this grow from a story and a one-time effort into the organization it is today, 10 years later?
2: Well, back in 2006, the, the first place that I posted this story was as a blog on MySpace. And it was kind of the beginning of social media as we know it today. And, and it was sort of the right place at the right time. And some friends in bands that that you know had a significant following, they were some of the first people, some of the first friends to support what I was trying to do. And so because of them you know, sharing it on, on their MySpace page or wearing a T-shirt at one of their concerts, the whole thing just got out in front of people in a unique way. And, and people began to respond and just say that they related to this story that they had just maybe read, um, whether it was from their own life, whether it was on behalf of someone they cared about, someone they knew, maybe even someone they had lost. And it, there was just this sense of momentum the the t-shirts kept selling, people kept responding to the story. And I just realized that we could do more than help one person. And I ended up, I had a really good job at the time. I was a sales rep for the clothing brand Hurley. And I ended up quitting that job and, and actually dove into this full time, which, which uh, felt very risky, very uncertain. Um, There was no way to know what the future held. There was no way to know if it could last, you know, six months or a year But there was this feeling that something special was happening and and that it was maybe too special to walk away from and just that we had the chance to help people. And uh, for the first year, or, or I guess you would say for the next year, we were under the umbrella of another charity that just gave us someone we could learn from and lean on and ask questions. And then for the last, I guess, nine years or so, we've been on our own as a 501c3, a nonprofit organization.
0: So you'll be here in Birmingham, speaking at the University of Alabama at Birmingham on September 20th. As you travel the country, what takes place at these types of events? What is your goal?
2: Well, the goal is definitely that people would leave encouraged. The goal is that, you know, if someone walked in feeling alone or, or feeling like they were really hurting or struggling, that they would know that it's okay to be honest about how they're doing. It's okay to talk about their pain. It's okay to ask their questions and more than anything to know that it's okay to get help. It's okay to ask for help. And one thing we love to do is connect people to those resources, whether it's the campus counseling center, you know, at a specific university that we go to or connecting people to, uh, to treatment centers or other counseling offices in the area. We've just learned that great help is out there. And so we think the, the biggest hurdle is not so much finding help, but just being willing to put a hand up and say, hey, I, I need some help. I, I need to do something about this.
0: I know that with my own personal struggle with depression, that was the hardest part, was saying, okay, I need help. Now what? And so I am grateful for the work that y'all do. I know it has encouraged many friends of mine, and I hope that your visit here does the same for many more people.
2: Oh, thank you. I'm I'm looking forward to coming.
0: Well, let's shift our focus to the book, album, and film that have most shaped you. Which three things did you pick for this conversation?
2: So I picked a book called Blue Like Jazz by a guy named Donald Miller. Uh, I picked the film Almost Famous uh, by Cameron Crowe. Album I picked The Beautiful Letdown by the band Switchfoot.
0: Awesome. Well, let's dive right in.
2: All right, Jamie. Uh,
1: I know that to write "Love in Our Arms" has kind of a long-standing relationship with Switchfoot, isn't that right?
2: Yeah, that's definitely true. John Foreman from the band was the first person to wear one of our T-shirts.
1: Oh, that's awesome! And then you guys have booths set up on their tours, and so it sounds like you know you've been a fan of theirs for a long time. Which came first, um, their relationship with your organization or your fandom for? for the band?
2: Uh, I was definitely a fan and and also a friend for several years before all of this started so um, there's been a lot of bands and a lot of folks that we've connected with because of the organization but this was actually a relationship that was in place before the organization began. Okay,
1: that's very cool Uh, so can you tell me a little bit about what uh, why The Beautiful Letdown resonated with you?
2: Yeah, so you know I've I've been a fan of theirs for a long time. So there's you know there's a bunch of albums and and a bunch of songs that have really resonated over the years, but you know this one uh, this was the album they were out touring behind and supporting uh, in 2006 when when the organization got started and, and in a way even prior to that when I had just written the story and was trying to help my friend Renee, mm-hmm. and this album really changed their lives and their careers. They had a a hit song called meant to live. And that was followed up by another song that did really well called dare you to move, uh, which is my, probably my single favorite song of all time. And, you know, so they were playing to thousands of people every night, people were hearing their songs on the radio and I loved the album, but I also was just so excited and proud of my friends that, that, you know, their music was being introduced to so many people and as a result, you know, because of their early support of what we were doing and what I was doing, uh, their fans began to find out about To Write Love on Her Arms. So it was just a really sweet season. And they were so generous with their platform. I mean, even quite quite literally, John wearing that shirt yeah. for the first time and, you know, people seeing it from across the room. So, you know, for me personally, there were songs that meant a lot. And then just looking at, you know, the the story of my life and kind of what's become my career it, that was a, a really pivotal uh, moment, and, and you can trace it back to that album.
1: Well, and then the themes of the album and Up to Right, Love in Our Arms definitely seem to coincide, you know, this idea of to kind of keep going even when times get tough and finding hope in a, in a um, tough world. And so it makes sense that there would have been some overlap.
2: John is, I think John has kind of always written about the intersection of pain and hope, and he's able to, you know, express himself in a way that is it's not only beautiful and hopeful but it's also very honest and uh, I love that he's honest about the painful parts of life and yet he's able to have hope within that and so I think a lot of that Resonates with me and and has has probably had a big influence on me as well Uh, How did you and John meet? We met man it was actually probably five or six years before the organization began so so actually around around 2000 and I was just introduced to their music and quickly became a fan and I was working for the surf brand Quicksilver at the time and figured out that those guys were surfers and uh, just emailed their management and was able to meet them after a show and just had some ideas of ways that they could work with Quicksilver and maybe have access to some free clothes and Very quickly, it just turned the corner from, you know, anything revolving around business to just something that was basically a friendship. And we really just kind of hit it off and have been friends ever since. Yeah, very cool. Now, I know um, you guys have
1: worked with other musicians like Five Seconds of Summer and Miley Cyrus, Panic at the Disco. How did those relationships come to start? You said they, they were a little bit more formal than your relationship with Switchfoot.
2: Um, I wouldn't say formal. I think I think it's just that, uh, you know, we, these other folks, you know, our paths crossed because of the work that we were doing. Um, I think we've surprised people over the years in, in how much of it, really how almost all of it has been very informal and maybe even a, a better word is just relational, that uh, so often these are just, you know, things that are growing out of mutual friendships or someone saying, hey, I, I know this person. I think they would love what you're doing uh, can I introduce you things like that so you know it's it's different in each in, in each scenario and um, you know there's been bands or artists that supported us kind of for a moment in time and, and there were others that have really supported us for for all 10 years and so music has really been a, a a big part of our foundation and DNA and you know beyond the sort of the marketing aspect of it I think we just love that the feeling that music is powerful and that it reminds us that it's okay to be honest, it's okay to ask questions. And we think there's a lot of common ground between music and maybe what people love about music uh, with the with the conversation we're trying to invite people into. Because yeah, I think music definitely. is allowed to be honest about the difficult parts of life. And when it comes to our everyday conversations and friendships, we're not always sure if, if we're allowed to be honest, if 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 it's okay to go there And so we love to to look at music as, as something that says, hey, maybe it's important to be real about these things.
1: Wonderful. All right, well, thank you so much, Jamie.
2: Welcome to the planet. Welcome to existence.
0: Okay. So let's talk about Blue Like Jazz. When did you first read this book?
2: I don't know exactly. I want to say probably in the early 2000s. I okay. don't know exactly.
0: Yeah. So probably shortly after its release.
2: Yeah, I think so. It was actually John from Switchfoot, oddly enough, who told me about the book and told me that I needed to read it.
0: Okay. Yeah. And well, when I know it, it was quite a sensation in certain circles. And, you know, Donald Miller has really continued to make an impression on people over the years. So what attracted you to it besides John's recommendation?
2: Um, I don't think I needed, I don't think I needed anything else in terms of the the curiosity or the attraction. I think, you know, John is just someone I really love and respect. And uh, I think there's a lot of common ground in terms of the things that make us tick and things that we're interested in. So when he said, hey, I love this book, you got to check it out. That was enough for me.
0: So let's talk about the book itself a little bit. Um, one of the things that struck me when I read it was, you know, Donald Miller's frank discussion of his spiritual journey. And I wondered if you found some common ground in there or if that appealed to you in some other way.
2: No, I would. I would definitely agree with that. I I think I was really impressed by the honesty that he wrote with, that he was, you know, willing to be honest about his questions and his doubts and, you know, some of his mistakes along the way and I think for me growing up in church and and even growing up a Christian, there there was sort of this false idea that you were supposed to have it all together and yes. and I think this book was one of the first things that really impacted me and, and offered a different narrative, maybe, which was just, hey, we're we're all humans on this planet, and part of that is really difficult at times, and there's going to be a lot of questions and struggles that come with that, and uh, we may not have this whole thing figured out, but I, I also just love the freedom that he he seemed to tell so many different Kinds of stories. So it's maybe a book about faith, but it's also a book about his friends and, uh, you know, romantic relationships and travels and people that, you know, he got to know. Just, just, it was, there was so much to it and, and so many different topics that he touched on. And I, I think I really appreciated that as well.
0: Right. Well, that's part of the human experience, isn't it? And I love, you know, in the book, when he talks about never liking jazz until he got it. And the book is kind of like jazz in that way, and that it touches on so many different emotions and experiences. And there's something really humanizing about that to me.
2: Definitely, I, I would agree with that. And yeah, I love that author's note, which is what you pointed out that the book actually opens with, with that idea that he didn't understand jazz until he stumbled upon a man, playing the saxophone on the street with his eyes closed and, uh, you know, watching someone love something changed things for him and, and I thought that was really powerful.
0: You know, the book plays on some of those ideas about it's okay to be imperfect, to ask questions and finding connection and relationship in the midst of all that and that all seems really pertinent to the direction that your life has taken. So I wondered, how did those ideas influence you?
2: Yeah, I, I definitely would agree. I mean, I, I definitely think those things really spoke to me and, um, you know, really moved me and I think encouraged me. And in a way, I think it, it gave me permission to be myself. And obviously, as you touched on earlier, the book did incredibly well. So I was far from alone in, you know, that spark that I got out of this book. Um, and I think one thing it did was it just made me want to write. I mm-hmm. I was sort of getting into writing. I didn't think of myself as a writer, but I was realizing it was something I enjoyed doing. And I remember reading this book and, and it actually, you know, I didn't want to just read it, but I, I think I wanted to write. I loved that he wrote in a way that was beautiful and poetic and honest. And some pages might make you cry and another page might make you laugh. And I, again, just loved the the freedom of all that and and maybe the the diversity or just how well-rounded it was and as you said it was it was just this very human book this very human story and so i think one of my big takeaways it, it wasn't only life lessons but it was even something as simple as hey i i really love what can happen when you choose to put words together and and it kind of made me start to pay more attention to that in my own life
0: gosh, now uh, you've got me going down a sort of nostalgic path thinking about that time in my life as well. About how old were you when the, the, the book came out in 2003? So around what point in life were you?
2: Uh, I would have been early 20s. Okay. I was born in 1980. So I was, you know, I turned 20 in the year 2000 and makes it easy to, to keep track of. Right. Um, so, so yeah, I was kind of, I was kind of the the, I think the, the age of so many people that it resonated with. I think Don was 33 when he wrote the book or when it came out. And, you know, so he was uh, roughly, you know, 10 years ahead of me on, on this journey.
0: Right, sort of a big brother, um, in a sense. And I just remember reading it and experiencing so many of the things that you're describing. I was born in 81. So we were right there on parallel paths. And that's around the time in my life, when I started to understand that it is okay to be who I am. And you know, I hadn't really given a whole lot of thought to how that book related to that time in my life, but it just came along at the right moment, I think.
2: Yeah, I, I totally relate to
1: that. So you're the kid who's been sending me those articles from the school newspaper. Oh, do you like the star of your school? They hate me. This is Rolling Stone
3: magazine. Let's talk about Almost Famous a little bit here because I think this movie from from for movie snobs, okay, and I spend probably too much time around movie snobs, there's there's a, a bit of a perception of, like, lumping this movie in with a lot of other coming-of-age movies, right? I think there's a little bit of cynical sort of eye-rolling about that whole genre these days, um, but I'm going to let you give me your reasons for why why should people who roll their eyes at coming-of-age movies take this one a lot more seriously? Why is this one Oh, different?
2: yeah. I, I, I don't know that I'm not trying to, to sell anyone on it. Um, I think what, you know, when, when you guys invited me to think about, um, you know, these three pieces of art that had resonated with me, uh, and, you know, obviously I kicked around a few ideas for films, but it, for me it really just comes down to the, you know, the main character that really represents Cameron Crowe in the film. Um so for me it's kind of that simple obviously i was i found the the movie really fun and really entertaining i loved the music you know the there's a there's a lot that i enjoyed about it and and so i don't really approach it as a you know like a film critic or or a sure. movie snob i i certainly like movies but for me and i think i i wouldn't say i realized this right away but just more looking back in terms of what my life has become or kind of how my career has played out I started to figure out I liked writing and certainly I, I realized I, I really loved music as well. Uh, and I think for anyone who, who starts to think about writing as a career, you, you know, one option is obviously to be a journalist, to kind of observe and tell stories. But for me, there was sort of this thinking that that means you're very much on the outside of those stories. You're, you're the fly on the wall. You're the observer. You're not a character in that story. And I think what, what this movie kind of broke open for me was just this idea that you could, you could tell stories that you were inside of as well. You could tell a story that you were a character in and, and that those lines were allowed to get blurry, that it didn't have to um, look a certain way. You didn't have to stay within these, these lines or ideas that had sort of become normal and, you know, when I look at kind of how things went for me, it, I, I just feel like I I relate to that, that mm-hmm. just there's so much that overlaps between my work and, and my life and writing and, uh, you know, telling stories and living stories and being on the road with bands and how that's played a part in the work that we do. And so for me, I just kind of look back and smile because I, you know, I think so many of us we we just loved this kid who was sorta out of his element but somehow completely at home and um, you know we all kind of smiled at this lead character but for me I think I just I felt like I I shared a bunch of common ground and and maybe again I I couldn't have realized that whenever I first saw it, but when I look at how my life has played out I I kinda smile at the similarities.
3: One of the themes I think that this movie deals with that's really interesting, um, and and probably a lot of people who have gone into journalism have this experience at some point. Is that that moment of disillusionment where you realize that this this thing that you sort of, you know, maybe glorified or fantasized about your whole life that that there's there's more to it than you saw before, and kind of dealing with that realization that it's it's not necessarily the sort of fantasy picture that you painted have have you had a moment like that in your career where you you had to push past uh maybe something about what you were doing that you know with your in your first encounter with it maybe disappointed you a little bit or or defied your expectations I guess
2: oh yeah I mean I, I think uh a, a, a whole bunch of them um I think part of it part of the trick is not to become cynical or or bitter, but I mean Mm -hmm. we've we've had a lot. I mean if you look at kind of our history, we've had a feature film made about us. Um you know, we I had a a book come out that I worked on with a major publisher. Um there's there's been a whole bunch of these kind of one in a million things that have come our way that we're totally thankful for. Mm -hmm. But um you know one example would be i i rolling stone did a feature on me they did like a profile piece that was four or five pages and so when you hear that that's happening that's super exciting i mean for you know for anyone you go wow they're going to tell my story right. that, that's that's so wild i you know i've read this magazine for years uh but then when it finally comes out of course you have some opinions over exactly how it comes out um So I, I definitely, I definitely, um, you know, relate to some of that, but I think that's just, that's just life. You know, I think we love to put things on a pedestal. I, I, I sometimes tell people, you know, it's, it's easier to be a fan of a lot of these things, but at, at the end of the day, I think we look back and even though they were imperfect, um, we're thankful for, for these opportunities and these surprises that have been, you know, part of our story. And even for me personally, part of my story and, and I guess that's just you know that's we kind of because everything is created and orchestrated by by people. Like of course there's going to be different opinions. There's going to be things that break down. There's going to be miscommunication. There's going to be egos. Um, so on a certain level, I guess it it ends up making sense.
3: <laughs> when you think about this movie and you you know you see the DVD box sitting out or you see the poster somewhere, is there is there a sort of singular moment? That sticks out to you that that kind of flashes in your memory about this movie
2: man good question i' it's funny i I actually haven't seen it in a while and um I felt like it was it was my um I felt like it was my best answer but then part of me also was like I wish I had watched it recently <laughs>
3: um, I mean in a way that's a good that's a good measurement because now it's been a while so like what sticks in your memory after this time you know
2: the kid having the crush on Kate Hudson's character, you know, who I think for a lot of us, that was kind of the moment that the world was introduced to, to Kate Hudson. You know, she plays this adorable free spirit, um, in the, in the movie. So that comes to mind. And then also I think that just the unlikely relationship between the kid and the front man of the band, you know, who is quite literally this, this rock star. Um, and it's just this funny this funny friendship and you also get the sense that um the kid isn't just out there trying to get a story but he really cares about the music and he cares about the people involved and you know the the i wouldn't even say a little bit but with the the touring that i've had the chance to do i mean I've, i've had the chance to live on buses with different bands for weeks at a time when we've participated in tours and everyone does you know the kind of the facade does fall away and, you know, you start to realize these are people, these are people with quirks and, um, you know, every, everything else that just goes with, with relationships, but it does, it does begin to feel like a family and not just with the band, but certainly with the crew um, who tend to work incredibly hard and have much longer days than the bands that get the credit. But I think like any family, there's, there's dysfunction, there's, beautiful moments there's hard moments uh, and I, I feel like I love that the the film captures some of that and then I'm also thankful that I've had the chance to experience some of that in my own life
3: okay so to wrap this up though I have to ask you for your your behind the scenes look into how this all really works in the real world it, do, do you ever really get the the moment where everybody on the bus sings together sings tiny dancer on the bus is that a real thing
2: Man, good question. I, I have I don't know that I've had. I don't know that I've been in on a bus sing along, but I've actually been in on a similar moment um, where I don't even know if it was decided, but where what happened was everyone just sits in. Well, not silence, but everyone is silent listening to a song together. I remember there was a night I think we were leaving. Pittsburgh, and I was with the band Amber Lynn, and uh, I remember just pulling out of town, you know, probably late at night, and for some reason, someone put a song on, and we all just kind of sat and listened and looked out the windows, so that's maybe the closest I've come to that moment.
3: Okay, cool. We'll leave it there. Thank you. That was great. All right, well, thanks so much to Jamie for joining us. You can learn more about To Write Love on Her Arms at TWLOHA.com, and they're all over social media at TWLOHA. I'm Matt Scalise. You can find me on social media at Matt Scalise.
0: I'm Carla Jean Whitley, and you can find me all over social stuff at Ink Stained Life.
1: And I'm John Hammondry. You can find me on Twitter at John Hammondry. And y'all be sure to download us on iTunes and give us a
3: rating. Thanks.
0: We'll talk to you next week.